Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Neil Slade with us. Neil's website is his name linked up at coasttocoastam.com. So, Neil, this guy gets into an accident, doesn't know music at all in the beginning. Afterwards, the guy's playing music within days. How's this happen? Uh, you beat me. <laughs> Nobody knows. That's why I say, you know, it, it could, uh, it reminds me of one thing. I've got some students who are just normal students, you know, that take kind of years to learn and they make a slow progression. And it's kind of to be expected. But about four years ago, I got a phone call from a family, and they wanted to give music lessons to their little girl. So I went over there, and I started teaching her lessons. And she learned at lightning speed, lightning speed. After four years of lessons, she surpassed me in terms of her technical ability. Jeez. Playing the piano surpassed me. At my college level, she's playing music that even I can't play at this point. So I'm her coach. And I had to figure out what's, what's going on there. Is she practicing a lot more than anybody? No. But both of her grandmothers were musicians. They were both professional piano players. So I had to think that there has to be a genetic component that's passed down from one generation to the next. Amazing that somehow there was something in her genes, maybe it's the way that she, her, her memory works, maybe it's the way that her ear works, but something that her grandmother had, and neither one of her, her, one of her parents is a very, kind of a beginning cello player, the other parent doesn't play music at all, but somehow something got passed down genetically. So there may be a genetic component that was opened up by this guy's head injury, maybe it was a matter of circuits being connected that are normally not connected, having to do with absorption of just hearing music, you know? So Mm -hmm. those are kind of the only guesses that that I or anyone else has. Neil, are there power foods for the brain? Oh, absolutely. And this is, this is something that's pretty scientific at this, at this point. So if people are listening, go grab a pencil, because I'm going to give you a few lists here of foods. Okay, so so what's good for your, your brain in terms of food? Well, generally, it's foods that have a lot of antioxidants that retard cellular damage, that contain omega fats and protein. So here's 11 foods. Fatty fish for DHA and EPA, which are essential omega fatty acids. Fatty fish are good. And if you look at if you look at the Japanese who have very long, who have the longest lifespans in the world, very high consumption of fish. Yes. And if, you, if, you're, if you're a vegetarian, for example, though, you don't have to feel left out because you can get supplements that supply those essential omega. The, the omegas, yeah. The omegas. Coffee, believe it or not, in moderation because it has antioxidants. Blueberries. Berries in general are pretty good, but blueberries in particular are very good for the brain. Turmeric is another one. Love that spice. Broccoli, pumpkin seeds for their protein and for the omega fats. Here's another one. My wife loves chocolate, and she eats the 80% chocolate, the really dark chocolate with little sugar. Now, we're not talking about chocolate that's loaded down with tons of sugar, because sugar has detrimental effects for the brain. In the, if eaten in excess. But just dark chocolate in, in, in by itself is very good for the brain. Nuts, because of the protein, the mm-hmm. omega fats. 
oranges, I'm guessing, for the, uh, uh, for the um, antioxidants, eggs, probably for the protein, and green tea, especially green tea, and black tea to one extent or another. Now, when you say, Neil, that the foods are good for the brain, yeah. what does that mean, good for the brain? Well, it means it, it, it helps the, tran- the neurotransmission of the chemicals, the way that the brain talks to itself, the way it moves information along efficiently. Uh, it talks about supplying the brain with basic raw building materials to build new neural connections. So foods that help the brain work more efficiently and to retain information and to keep the brain healthy over a long period of time. Why do some people, Neil, have great memories and other people have lousy memories? I mean, I've seen people get introduced to each other, and then like two minutes later, the other person comes up to me and says, what was that guy's name? Uh, I mean, why, why, why do they have bad memories? I, I, don't, I don't think there's really one answer for that, but actually... Just yesterday, I, I watched a show on, on Amazon, and it was a show hosted by uh, James May, and it was called, uh, what was it called, Man Lab. And he does a lot of interesting kind of, he's a very ordinary sort of fellow who does a lot of extraordinary types of things. So one of the experiments he set up was to have somebody go into a, a uh, dinner party with dozens and dozens of people of which he knew none of them. And the task was to remember everyone's name. So he would so he had a few little tools that he would use. For example, uh word association. Uh somebody was a huge person that helped him to remember the guy's name, which was you. Or uh if someone's name reminded him of a a an object, he would mm-hmm. use that. Or simple repetition of using the person's name. You know, often we meet someone will say, oh, hi, Jim. How, nice to meet you, Jim, and that's the end of it. But if you repeat the person's name often enough during the conversation, that will help you to remember that. So there are, there are little devices, memory devices, that probably come easier or more naturally to people to remember names than other people who don't naturally or even purposefully use those memory memory aids. Cool. I'm not a memory expert, but there are certain kind of devices and tricks that you can use to to remember things. There are people who can remember the complete order of cards in a deck of cards. Oh yeah, yeah. And or names out of a phone book. Or names out of a phone book. Now some of these people are, have extraordinary kind of skills and abilities. But mostly what these people say, it's a matter of practice and learning how to use these memory-enhancing gimmicks and tools and such. And I think some people just naturally gravitate towards those where others don't. We've got a mentalist who comes on the show once in a while, Jim Carroll. You tell him a zip code, and he'll tell you the city. Ah, That's remarkable. It's, it's incredible. Well, we've all seen the movie Rain Man. Yeah. With and Dustin Hoffman, it's, it's right? Not, it's not a matter of intelligence or certain, you know, you don't have to be a, a genius to remember things. It's, it's kind of how your brain is wired up. And in the case of some savants like Rain Man and people like him, they're just, 
they can't do anything, but they've got these tremendous memories. And it's, it's just kind of a, a quirk in their neural circuitry. We're going to take calls with Neil next hour, talk to us about the brain, uh, share some stories with us about the brain. If you have had or if somebody's had a tumor in the brain or some kind of concussion, that will affect brain power and memory as well, won't it? Uh, oh, certainly, certainly. Um, you know, certain the, the way that the brain is constructed is it's, it's built upon a map. Memory, for example, we don't know. There's no one specific, and talking about memory again, there's no one specific location for memories. It's believed that memories are a combination of different parts of the brain acting in concert with each other. You may have a smell that reminds you of something, and the the mere fact that the smell triggered a neural connection helped you to remember something or triggered triggered a memory but the the brain is is constructed so one physical part of the brain has a particular function and another part of the brain has another function for example the visual cortex is located in the back of the brain in the occipital lobes so when you see something you're engaging this back part of your brain the frontal lobes the most forward part of your brain, for example, is called the executive part of your brain, and it's the decision-making part of your brain. It, it takes information from the other parts of the brain and combines it together to make a good decision. Um, the ability to cooperate with people is located in, in, in the crack between the right and left hemispheres in the front part of the brain. Um, you've got something called a motor strip which goes across the top of your brain in a band, and that controls how your, your fine motor movement works. Um, your smell is located in another part of your brain. Your hippocampus is a little area of your brain which is, deals with memory and where memories are kept. So you've, you've got different parts in your brain that do different things. And they, they, they work independently, but they also work together to a great extent. Neil, what do you think of these neural chips that uh, some people want to dabble with to implant in our brains? Now that's something that I'm, I'm not familiar with. Maybe you can explain that a little bit, too. Well, they're, it's, it, they're literally computer-type chips that they want to be able to put into your brain for all kinds of things. Memory, uh, you know, telepathy, all kinds of stuff. Elon Musk is a great supporter behind this stuff. Oh, no, that's something I'm not, I'm not familiar with. I am familiar with, with a uh, um, mechanical aids to hearing. For example, people who have never, who are born deaf, can be implanted with a missing part of their inner ear. Now, are these the cochlear implants? Yes, exactly yeah, right. Yes, Rush Limbaugh has one of those. Ah, and so that, that, that inner, well, you know, now he hasn't always been deaf, but I'm talking about people who have never heard a thing in their life, and they have the brain wiring for it, but they don't have that one little missing piece of physical oral right. mechanics. So it's, it sounds like a very interesting concept. Well, they're, th- they're talking about chips for the eyes, the people who are blind. I, I, I have heard of that, and I have seen a little bit, seen a little bit of that as well. And it's, it's, it's a, 
It's a miraculous marriage oh, of technology my God. and biology. Yeah, on one hand, technology is unbelievably amazing, and then on the other hand, it gets kind of scary when you think of putting in chips in the brain to be able to do some other things. Well, you know, there's always that discussion of can we download our memories and our personality into a computer so that after we die, yep. we still continue to exist. That's Dude. kind of a, a very interesting concept. I don't know if it's ever going to come to fruition or if we'd even want it to come to fruition or not, or if it's even possible, but it's an interesting, interesting idea. Uh, it seems to me that it's not inconceivable that, that at some point we'll be able to manufacture some type of device that will repair or substitute for missing or non-working parts of the brain. Remember the baseball great Ted Williams? Yeah, sure. Well, when he died, his family put him in a cryogenic chamber. They have his head there. His, <laughs> his head is there. This is what Timothy Leary wanted to do. And this is what they want. This is the plan. One day when they are able to download memory from the brain, assuming the cryogenics doesn't, you know, fry the brain, yes. you know, by freezing it too much. But the hope is to be able to clone a body. And, you know, if you can download memory from a brain, you'll be able to cl clone a body just as easily. <laughs> so they clone a body from Ted Williams so it'll look just like Ted. And then they download his original memory from his cryogenically frozen head and brain into the new body, and there he is again. Well, that's, that's quite an incredible idea. Well, I do know this, though, about cloning, as far as cloning is concerned, and you probably know this, too. They have, people have cloned their pets. Yes. So that and, and, pet and the first clone was, remember, who was it? It was Dolly. Dolly the sheep. Dolly that's the sheep. right. However, that being said... The clone pet doesn't have necessarily the same personality as the mother of the clone. And what about the soul, Neil, for a human? Yeah. I, I, if you believe well, that. You don't need to clone the soul because it never goes anywhere, does it? Well, but is it going to attach itself to the new body? Well, I, you know, and I am a believer in reincarnation. I believe that there is a part of you that, you know, the core, your core self does exist beyond death. And that at some point in time, you are given the opportunity, or maybe you're just addicted to being a human being, you come back. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern, and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.